You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM. This is a special interview with Steve Gravestock, Senior Programmer at the Toronto International Film Festival. And we're going to be talking about two films today, Phantom of the Paradise and Phantom of Winnipeg. Steve, welcome to this capsule uh, interview for this special program that you've put together called Seeing the North. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Tell me why you decided to program these two films together. Uh, You're outgoing senior programmer. You're doing some of your favorite films and um, Phantom of the Paradise and Phantom of Winnipeg. Tell us about both of those and why you decided on those in particular to kick off. Well, Phantom of the Paradise has always been one of my favorite films. Uh, um, I think it's one of the best uh, satires of the pop music industry uh particularly rock and roll but uh um you know very much about this skullduggery that goes uh you, you know the machinations behind making a pop star uh, i think it's uh still one of the best uh it ranks up there with espresso bongo and uh other other film other films where they you know deal with the um you know the the machinery of pop music and it's also very precise and hilarious countercultural satire. The director, Brian De Palma, who's long been one of my favorites, uh, filmmakers, uh, came from a counterculture. Well, he, his first couple of films are counterculture satires, um, Wedding Party, and especially Hi, Mom, and Greetings, uh, uh, which were very, um, you know, very, very smart, uh, often kind of goofy satires. Uh, uh, Robert De Niro had, uh, I think it was one of his first big leading roles uh, in one of the films. And this one carries over that that sort of uh, hippie counterculture element. But it, but it also, I think one of the, it wasn't a huge hit when it came out. In fact, it was, it was a bit deflating for De Palma uh, because it didn't do well. Um, although it got rave reviews from a lot of, um, a lot of prominent critics, probably most notably Pauline Kael, which is how I learned about the film reading her book Reeling. But anyway, I mean, one of the, the one of the speculations about the film not doing well was because it satirized the very audience that it was appealing to, which was a youth audience. And of course, it, the youth audience in in this film is very easily manipulated. Actually, uh, De Palma had made a. There's sort of very Dionysian ending to the film. Uh, and the crowds are all go berserk all the way through the movie. So, and in fact, one of De Palma's early features was a was an a- adaptation of uh, Euripides' The Bacchae, which of course ends with the crowd going insane and like ripping people apart or ripping the god apart. Um, uh, um, uh, the Bacchae, uh, anyway. Um, it so it's or Dionysus by by his followers, the Bacchae. So, you know, it's it's very smart. Uh, great score by Paul Williams, uh, an excellent cast. Uh, William Finley uh, plays the Phantom. Paul Williams plays the villain Swan. Um, uh, Jessica Harper, in I think only her second role, uh, plays the, the uh, female lead. Uh, really, really sharp, precise parodies of everything from the Beach Boys to... Um, you know, the 50s um, um, uh, sort of doo-wop revival that happened in the 1970s, especially Glitter, for sure. Uh, uh, when they actually, you know, it's it's all about Swan stealing, Swan, the music industry mogul, who's a bit like, uh, you know, Phil Spector-ish or, um, 
you know, he, he's, he's a, a teen mogul who, who, uh, uh, who got rich very quickly and, you know, he kept ripping off all his musicians. And there's, uh, there's obviously elements of classic horror tales, uh, like Phantom of the Opera, um, uh, you know, that would be the primary one, but there's also Faust, por- picture of Do- uh, Portrait of Dorian Gray, there's elements of that, um, there's elements of the Grand Guignol, which of course Glitter and Guy in some ways was uh, eventually de- like turned into with people like Alice Cooper. So it's just really rich. Uh, and Phantom of Winnipeg um, explores the one town, is about the one town where Phantom of the Paradise was a hit, uh, which was Winnipeg. Uh, and uh, the documentary by Malcolm Ingram and Sean Stanley really does a great job, uh, I think, about, you know, really explaining, like, what films can do for you, how it can create a community, uh, some you know, a community for outsiders, how... Uh, you know, it's also a really great portrait of Winnipeg as well. And it's kind of, yeah, idiosyncratic nature. For me, it ranks up there with uh, Clive Holden's Trains of Winnipeg or Guy Madden's My Winnipeg and a portrait of the unique nature of, of Winnipeg. Um, and it's just really sort of engaging and charming. The, the, the people who love the movie have loved the movie since the 1970s when they all flocked to it. And it basically ran for a year in one theater. Um mostly on the weekends and it was all like kids who were 9 10 11 12 and they were all shocked to find out when they grew up that no one else saw the movie or liked it and it had bombed uh and it's really just sort of uh it's just a great portrait of you know the benefits of movie going and and this sort of uh, outsider community and and winnipeg itself it's just uh um, I'm really happy to show it. And Malcolm will be present for the screening, so that'll be fun. Steve, I'm surprised that to hear about the age of the fans when it originally came out. Why do you suppose yeah, that? Yeah, some of the parents were surprised, too. <laughs> They're like, because there's, I think there's an, there's an orgy in one scene. And it's like, did you know what they were doing? That was an orgy. And the kid said, I don't know what an orgy is. <laughs> They were like 12 or 13. It's like, now I want to know, though. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, I think it was because I think it was just like, you know, uh, I, I back in the 70s, I think that category was you could go, you know, if your parents said it was OK, they didn't have to go with you. I think things were like, weirdly enough, I think they were sort of, you know, people look at the at, at that period as a time where sensor boards are really powerful. But I, I also think, you know, sometimes the year owners were perhaps a little laxer i remember right around that time my dad talked me and my brother into chinatown i was like 14 and my brother was 12 and he just bullied us into the theater (laughs) chinatown yeah we didn't really (laughs) understand the whole plot thing but we figured it out eventually uh you're right i think things were things were looser back then because i think about the things that i went to see um in the seventies. And I was thinking, I really shouldn't have seen that at that age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although I remember come, the first time I came into Toronto to see a movie on my own, I went to see, uh, uh, I never promised you a rose garden. Uh, uh, Cause I'd read the book and I, I think I'd seen Kathleen Quinlan and I liked her as an actress. And I came all the way from Burlington. No, it was Mississauga uh, to watch it at the university. And it, I was three days shy of my, 18th birthday and they wouldn't let me in oh no oh no yeah it's okay i came back uh, <laughs> three days uh, later I came back. yeah but yeah the, it was, it was the university failure so, 
Yeah, the yeah, university theater. That, you're bringing but... back. You're bringing back memories of that theater. It was a great theater. I love the balcony there. Um, it was. I used to just sneak. I'm sure the kids did this too. Like I would. Like I would go to see the first show and then go to the bathroom and then go sneak back into the balcony and watch the film again. <laughs> oh, of course, of course, we all did that. Yeah. We all yeah. did that back then. Uh, not to boast, but I once not at that theater, but I once got about five of my cousins uh, to sneak into uh, two movies back in the day. <laughs> nobody, yeah, cool. yeah, nobody cared. Nobody cared. We're just, you know, in a crowded theater and we went to see the second film. Um, so why did you decide to kick off uh, Seeing the North with, with these two films? Well, uh, I thought, well, I love both the films and I, I do think that it's important to know uh, I mean, it's, I'm a fan of films that sort of give the history of films from a unique perspective. And uh, I th- obviously Phantom of the Winnipeg, Phantom of Winnipeg does that. Um, I also think that, you know, weirdly enough, so few people have seen Phantom of the Paradise. I know it wasn't a, wasn't uh, like it did, was not a, a box office success. Um, uh, you're being but, kind, um, Steve. Steve, you're being kind. It was a flop. Yeah, it was a bum. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh but, you know, I, I figured people would catch up to it because De Palma had a, you know, he was a substantial director from, I would say, you know, well, throughout his career. I mean, obviously, you know, he was better known through from the mid-70s, um, you know, through the 80s uh, up to the 90s. I mean, really, you know, doing Mission Impossible uh, films, uh, part of that franchise, uh, The Untouchables, et cetera, like big hits. And I was, I remember once at New Year's, uh, we'd had a party and the numbers had sort of dwindled down and people were hanging out. And I was like, well, let's go downstairs and watch Phantom of the Paradise. And uh, I don't know why. I think I just wanted to, I was thinking about it all week. And like no one had seen it and they were shocked at how good it was. And, uh, you know, so that was one of the reasons. And it's just uh, when Cameron asked me to do this, um, uh, the carte blanche, um, he, he wanted me to focus on films that I programmed for TIFF, but I, I really felt it was sort of important to show films that I that influenced me before I started uh, working at TIFF. And I just, it, you know, I just love both these movies. So remind people how long you've been with TIFF. I've been there since 95. Okay. And uh, you and I connected, I think, primarily because of Canadian film. And then I got, you know, turned on to to Nordic film. So, you know, we've sort of been following the same uh, trajectory, uh, film-wise anyway, uh, for a lot of years. But Phantom of the Paradise, I think I've only seen once. And um, I need to see it again because I really only remember certain parts. And Phantom yeah. of Winnipeg, I've, I've never seen Phantom of Winnipeg. Oh, well, we should, uh, you should get it. We, we should figure a way out to... For you to see it because it is it is a lot of fun and Malcolm's a very uh, uh, you know he's done a lot of great films and he's really particularly good at uh, exploring uh, the tensions and characters of uh, uh, communities. Uh, I mean, he, uh, probably his best known film is Small Town Gay Bar, which is a, a great portrait of um, uh, well bars in small uh, towns uh, uh, where you know uh, where it's the only. Uh, uh, um, the only safe space for that particular community, how they're often endangered, not uh, uh, not just because of homophobia, but uh, 
also because the the towns are sort of fading uh or you know um uh their towns themselves are not doing well um so you know i think it's he's i think he's he's a good filmmaker to uh um highlight uh on my way out too uh which i've uh, you know i mean he's done a, a a lot of cool stuff so i'm really happy to be able to show this one yeah, I think Small also, Town Gay yeah. Bar was the first of his films that I saw. And it has a sort of melancholic tone to it, um, to the film as well. It, as, quite, it looks beautiful too, actually. Yeah, it uh, is. And right. uh, great subjects in the film and the exploration of of the town. I can't remember what town it was, but... Um, um, I think there was more than one. There was more, I think there was he more did. Than, he, yeah. yeah, you're right. There was more than one, but um, it stayed with me, uh, that film, the feeling of that film. And uh, uh, some of those people have certainly passed on. Um, and that serves as a record that, you know, they were around yeah. and uh, their lives were were valid. Thanks. To I think the vast majority of the place. Yeah, for sure. I think the vast majority of the places that he, um, sure. And I don't, he didn't do a lot of, uh, you know, it was a, it was a single digit, like it, it wasn't like he went to 30 places. Uh, uh, but they were mostly, you know, kind of what they, uh, derisively, refer, you know, um, uh, condescendingly refer to as flyover country, uh, you know, the Midwest, the South, um, uh, the Southwest. Uh, um, so, you know, it was, it was, I, I think it's, uh, uh, it's an imp- and you know I think that Phantom of Winnipeg, though it's more ebullient because it's about finding that you were part of a community, um, uh, finding out you were part of a community that sort of hung together and stuck to its, uh, you know, belief that Phantom of the Paradise was an exceptional film. Uh, so it's a different type of you know it's more it, it's far less elegiac than uh, um, Small Town Gay Bar. So what can people expect on on the night on January 7th? Well, I hope it's going to be crowded. Uh, uh, I think it'll be it's a it's a really cool pairing. It's kind of like a de facto double bill in a way. But it's, you know, uh, we'll we'll have Malcolm there for the uh, um, for for, for Phantom of Winnipeg. And uh, I'll introduce Phantom of the Paradise. And I think my actually. I made my son watch it uh, a couple weeks ago and he, he sort of, he kind of uh, uh, sealed the deal about whether I was going to show uh, uh, Phantom of the Paradise because he told me he was sort of reluctant to watch it and then got totally into it and then told me it was fire, which uh, apparently is really <laughs> For people who don't know, tell them how old your son is. He's 16. Uh, it was fire. So, yeah. uh, but it's, uh, he's, he's a real, he watches a lot of films. Well, so, of course, uh, because of you. Um, but still, a teenager. Well, no, I think something. it's because of his friends. But uh, he does use my Criterion subscription a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there it is. But uh, he's going. So, he's bringing his friends, so uh, that'll be fun. Yeah. So it sounds like Hopefully it's going to be like a fun, it. a fun double bill. So Phantom of the, the Paradise is the second screening. And yeah, it's the late show. And Phantom of Winnipeg is is first. Why that order, Steve? Well, I actually uh, I don't think there's a huge amount of spoilers in in uh, in Winnipeg uh, in Phantom of Winnipeg. Um, I mean, you kind of get some of the gist of the story, but it's it's they they the focus is more on the community and then the and the community that sort of uh, kind of reformed around the film. 
because uh, they did a number of uh, big reunions um, with the cast and uh, they got like Garrett Graham and uh, Peter Elbling and Paul Williams and Jessica Harper to come out to go to Winnipeg for for I think two screenings like I think Garrett Graham and Peter Elbling did the first one and then they had a bigger one the second time around they actually flew down to try and convince Paul Williams to come Uh uh but yeah i i mean i i just think it gives a good context to phantom of the paradise um and uh, you know i thought that was a good way to go into the the, the film and i don't i don't really believe it gives away a huge amount of the plot because you know that would be my concern although you know it's like you know phantom of the opera uh, faust pick portrait of Dor- dorian gray you know it's not going to be um it's not going to end like et <laughs> It's not going to be like a super happy ending. Uh, it's <laughs> no. like it sort of grooves on its own cynicism. Uh, it gets high on its own supply, I suppose. Uh, it gets high on its own sort of negative view of uh, culture and history and, and et cetera. So, you know, it's not. Uh, I mean, Kale once wrote that uh, I think she was comparing to Palma and Spielberg. And, and she said that, uh, you know, with Spielberg, things look really dire and yet somehow they all seem to work out. I mean, she was referring talking about his seventies titles. Um, you know, they seem to work out sort of much better than you thought. Whereas De Palma, you know, things just get progressively worse and it always works out worse than you'd ever imagined. Yeah, uh, it's true. So, so, you know, it's a nice sort of, I think it's a, you know, and I think that Mal- Malcolm and Sean's film actually ends out, you know, it ends up in a, uh, it's, it showed how the movie about how, you know, community was totally false, ended up creating a community, uh, which is kind of neat. So. We, we talked about Malcolm, but we didn't talk about Sean Stanley. Tell I me don't know Sean's work as well, so uh, uh, as, as Malcolm's. I've known Malcolm for a long time. I met him when we showed um, Revolver, uh, Brian Johnson's film from uh, the early 2000s okay. uh, that Kevin Smith produced. Uh, um, so, uh, but, and I've seen a lot of his films since then. I haven't seen him as many as Sean, sadly. Okay. All right. That sounds like it's going to be quite the evening and people should definitely go to both to experience the totality of the phantoms. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, if, if the, uh, if people are having difficulty, um, getting tickets, uh, uh, you know, well, the, hopefully they have memberships, uh, but if they're having difficulty getting tickets, tickets are freed up sometimes even day of, uh, like four hours before. So uh, they should check in, at, you know, if, you know, if, the, if it's off sale now, it may, it may come back on sale. Yeah. And I should mention yeah. that tickets are free for, uh, for TIFF members, um, which is why. Free for TIFF members and memberships, I believe are I think are still free for uh, people under 25. Under 25. Exactly. All right, Steve, thank you so much for talking about the Phantoms and they're both screening on January 7th at the TIFF Bell Lightbox, www.tiff.net for all information.